I went to Las Vegas, and for whatever reason, I cannot find my microphone anymore for podcasting. Uh-huh. So totally related. <laughs> totally makes sense. Why did you bring your podcast mic to Vegas? I don't think I did so intentionally. I'm not sure how the events are connected. One day, like the people uh, uncovering the scrolls <laughs> of antiquity, maybe we'll know. We'll learn. We'll create something that allows me to figure out where my microphone is and, and how I lost it. That's, you know, what I hope anyway. I get my best people on it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Do it again! Do it again! Welcome to the House of Strauss. Yeah, go for it. Stars hang with stars. Winners hang with winners. Hello, it's House of Strauss. We are joined by one of our favorite guests, the endlessly fascinating Ashley Vance, and a man I've likely disappointed today. He gave me and he gave this website just a fantastic shout out in an interview. And how do I reward him? I reward him by losing my podcast microphone uh, on a Vegas bender uh, and showing up late and being all frazzled and unshaven. So how are you doing, Ashley? I feel like that's the right way to have a Vegas bender, man. I, I've got no no problems with that. No, I, I, I certainly appreciate that. Uh, man, we just like having you here, and we will riff. Um, last time you were here, I thought I did a pretty good job of prepping. This time, I read the article that you co-wrote that is just really a great... I don't know how you find these stories, man. That might be a whole other part of the conversation. Um and I think we might anchor this whole conversation around two topics. Uh, the first will be uh, Herculean uh, papyri. Is that how I pronounce it? Papyri? Uh, papyri? Papyri. 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 Yes, Herculean papyri. Um, and those weird Apple Vision goggles people are wearing. Because in my scramble to get a replacement microphone, I've been to three stores, uh, one of which the Apple store on 4th Street in Berkeley. And it was a stunning vision to see people wearing these goggles. It, it, it felt like I was in some sort of a, it felt like I was watching Back to the Future. And it was one of these scenes where you're looking at what the future is supposed to look like. And it just is too uh, hokey and overdone. And yet it is, it is real and is before us. I would love to get your thoughts on that. But let's start with going to the past. Um, tell us about... Herculean, how do I, how do I say it? Papiri. Herculean papiri. Yeah. And the people who study them are uh, paparologists. I love it. I love it. This is such an interesting story, man. And I'll let you set the stage of it, but there's something really special about this. Uh, Just the idea that technology from the future can unlock the ancient past I mean, again, I just don't know how you find this stuff. Can you can you set the stage and maybe then I can just ask you some questions about it because I love this story. Yeah, I mean, I'll try to give people some historical context, I guess, on all this. And this one has, I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. This one has some ins and outs. Um, but, you know, when Vesuvius erupted, everyone tends to focus on Pompeii, but there was this 
city um, to the west of, of Vesuvius called Herculaneum. And it was kind of like, uh, from what I've read, and I've read too many books about this now, um, kind of like a resort town for the wealthy and, and mm. right, right on the water. And, and it also got impacted by the, by the volcano, but in a slightly different way. And things were very well preserved there, unlike Pompeii that had all these kind of crushed buildings from rocks coming out onto it. Um, Herculaneum was flash, flash frozen, flash fried, uh, and, and things were, were very well preserved, including a villa that used to belong to Julius Caesar's father-in-law. And, and, you know, it got buried by like 60 feet of, of pumice and ash and all that. And so, so people forgot about it until the 1700s and some farmers were out digging wells and they, they hit upon these like marble statues when they were going down. And so they started to realize there used to be a town there. And then somebody actually around 1750, hit on this villa and they could tell that it was something special. It belonged to somebody really rich and, and people started more or less like looting it. They were taking out the statues, household objects, stuff like that. Then they started to hit on these little things that they thought were firewood. Um, they look like, uh, it looks exactly like if you doused your campfire out with water, you know, just, just kind of like a, um, a briquette of burnt wood. Yeah. And, yeah. And the first people that, that spotted these thought that's what it was. They were burning them. It turns out they were scrolls. You know, this, this was a rich guy. He had a bunch of these papyrus scrolls and for a couple hundred years, people have been trying to unroll them, but it's been virtually impossible. I mean, they crumble in your hand. Um, they're all, you know, people can hop on the internet and see pictures of these things. It's insane. It's yeah. like, like trying to look into a lump of charcoal you, you you i think when you said briquette you did better than i i was actually literally thinking of how do i convey what this looks like um, yeah. i i wanted to say turd but it doesn't look like a turd people, and that's people, say turd. people do say turd <laughs> but yeah <laughs> i mean if you can picture like a, a scroll i mean people can picture that something that's wound up all this this paper this papyrus and then it's just totally burnt to a crisp and fused together um but you know people are like wow this is we, we could get some knowledge from the ancient world let's open these and they did terrible things to the scrolls somebody poured mercury all over them to try and loosen them up somebody else like hit them with this combination of gases um one guy this priest he made a wooden contraption that that unrolled them at about like it was like a centimeter per day um and mm. then that was actually the most effective, but not terribly. And so anyway, we ended up with these like 800 ancient scrolls. And for, for hundreds of years, people have been desperate to try and read them without any, any way to do it. And then last year, this very wealthy tech guy that I know, Nat Friedman, he used to be CEO of GitHub, if people know what that is. Um, and, you know, he had this idea, like, I think AI could read these and... I'm going to start a contest and let's see what happens. So the, just sorry to, to back up for one second. The, yep. You can create these three-dimensional scans, just like we go for a CAT scan or whatever. They're putting these scrolls in these sort of supersized versions of those machines, creating a three-dimensional image of it that you can kind of pass through. And then they use software to unroll them and then AI to go and try and find letters on these, these scrolls. 
Yeah, it looks like a sonogram uh, is what I gathered when looking at uh, some of the imagery of it. And isn't there a bit of a competition between human and machine embedded in this whole uh, contest? Yeah, well, there's sort of a competition, but I just sort of think of it as like an actually kind of like just positive AI story of, of man yeah. and machine working together. I mean, the sorry like one more bit just to give people the context sure. here. so like like all of our sort of pre-1400 literature you know if, if those were in bound volumes in books it, you could fit them on just like an average kitchen table about three feet high it, like we think we have i don't know in my head i'm like oh we've got lots of sophocles and aristotle and Homer. Wow. we really don't and they wow. found these 800 scrolls but They've barely excavated any of this villa, and people think there's about 40,000 of these scrolls. And so this would multiply all of our knowledge of the ancient world by many, many, many fold. And we'd get like new works by Aristotle, Sophocles, Aeschylus, you name it. And Paul the Apostle was in the area 20 years before the volcano went off. And so there's like not a lot of consensus on this, but some historians think, you know, there's going to be tons of, or at least some um, information about this Jesus guy walking around and, and oh. like on the ground reporting about that. I mean, okay. There's so much here. Um, <laughs> what, I mean, I remember uh, the quote in your article about it, if we could just find one poem, one thing then it would validate the whole venture. And I was thinking, yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but, are we looking for something more, right? Um, it, it seemed as though the Renaissance was unleashed in part because the people of that time looked backwards towards this time um, and discovered something, which it's not usually how we conceptualize history now uh, or the way things go. We think of it as just one long progression. We don't think that sometimes we go back or sometimes we need to look back to make a leap forward. Um do you think that there's plausibly something in there that could advance us beyond our own curiosity, or is that just too hopeful considering the vast chasm in time? You know, I, I talked to like a bunch of classicists um, for this piece, like like basically to them, this is is like mythical status. This would be yeah. They haven't had anything new to read <laughs> in a long time, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, the way they phrase it is that this could rewrite our understanding of, of the time period. So beyond just like Aristotle and Aeschylus and all this, like this guy was really rich. So, you know, he almost certainly had a library that had like all the important, the texts that were deemed important historically at the time. But then he's going to have a lot of contemporary stuff and he's going to have just like random things in this library about about day-to-day -day life. And so, um, you know, I don't know. Like, if we get three more works by Aristotle, does it, like, change Western civilization and our views on it? Probably not. But, but mm. you know, people make entire careers debating bits and pieces of Aristotle and, and everything in this time period. If we... There is a chance. you Like, the Christianity stuff is pretty interesting. So they... Yeah. You didn't get into this a lot in the story. And... And various people, they don't really like to talk about this on the record. But the the Vatican, this is some Dan Dan Brown stuff. The Vatican is is like concerned about uh, what wow. they 
Wait, wait, because, because it's like a don't never meet your heroes kind of situation they're worried about that we're going to read in the scrolls that Jesus was engaged in a belching contest. It was the town drunk. Is that is that the fear that something yeah. something like that could come out? Is that really the fear? Like the equivalent of sort of a blog post. This guy, Jesus, is a runner around. He's got like, he's pretty shady, you know. He's, he's Making up miracles. <laughs> Drinking a lot. You know, they don't know. They don't know what's going to come out. So so I think just the thought that they, they, they don't know and they can't control it is uh, mm. is a concern. But yeah, I don't know. You know, the classes is they're just freaking out. They, they think there will be... Huge revelations about about all. And the other thing, it's kind of interesting. I mean, we have almost just nothing by Sappho. And Sappho's the only female writer, like, until you get to sort of the middle middle ages. And, and you know, who knows? There could be a lot of other yeah. sort of female writers in there, which would be more than one. Um, so, yeah, so, so things could be different. I mean, look, I, I know everything I already need to know uh, about ancient Rome from watching the movies. I, I know everybody has a British accent and is hot. That's that's what I have gleaned uh, from from watching fiction about ancient Rome is everybody has a very patrician British accent. Um, I don't know if I want that confounded. No, in all seriousness, I would love to learn whatever I can learn. I mean, this is this is the epoch of history, which feels at the most immediate and at the largest remove somehow. I mean, I've had my my son ask me about it of why don't we know this? Why don't we know that? Why don't we have you know information from this time period when it looms so large in our minds? I mean, Julius Caesar is this huge figure and look, I I I agree anything we can get, anything we can glean Maybe it's of no utility to us, Ashley. It's probably m more likely than not that it's of no practical application. But God, I would just, I would love to know what it is about that time period that we don't know right now. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the coolest thing I thought about during the story is you try to find like comps through history, you know, and um, we just haven't had like a. I mean, it's 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 kind of beyond like a buried treasure or something like that. I just don't think we've had something yeah. like this in our lifetime or in many in many hundreds mm -hmm. of years. That's, that's kind of like this. Um, that's as exciting. And and the funny thing is like the kind of practically the Italians. So the the villas like barely been excavated, and the Italians have have not really let people take a crack at getting any more of these scrolls. You know, like pragmatically in some sense, because every time somebody got in there, they ripped them to shreds and, and, and messed them all up. There's also like a bit of like stereotypical Italian bureaucracy mm. and uh, dysfunction surrounding some of this. And so this discovery is very suddenly placing like a lot of tension, attention on this site and like, what's going to happen to it. There, there's, there's actual, mm. People, there's a school, there's a commercial greenhouse on top of this this villa, and now everybody's going to want to get in there. Like, I should tell people, yeah, after this contest, it worked. We read these scrolls. Like, for people who haven't seen the story, I mean, it's astonishing. You could barely, they, five or six years ago, 60 Minutes did a piece, and the New Yorker did a massive piece when we had, like, just almost found one letter from a scroll using mm. these imaging techniques. They were so excited, and there was, like, a debate 
was it a letter? Was it not a letter? Um, Through this contest, a bunch of these like 20 something computer nerds have, um, they've read thousands upon thousands of words from one of these, these scrolls and they're, they're like that, that it'll work on all the rest. Wow. I just, I, God, I would love to know whatever they reveal. Now, have you given much thought to kind of the cultural internet meme? You know, there's something that bounced around the internet a few months ago. I'm sure you're aware of it, of uh, men think about ancient Rome every day. And on TikTok and Twitter, you had wives and girlfriends asking their significant others um, if they think about Rome frequently and then being shocked when the answer was yes. Uh, what's up with that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Why, why might dudes ruminate about Rome? Well, that was, that was like the origin this in some ways uh before it was cool this guy nat friedman was thinking about rome like the the pandemic had hit um, his house had burned down in the the california wildfires right right before the pandemic and um i don't know if nat would want me to reveal this or not but here we go you know he's pretty wealthy he's like wait what's my new house gonna look like i'm gonna i'm gonna turn to rome for some inspiration maybe it'll be a a villa type thing and um one thing led to another. He started making paper models of villas with his daughter. He started cooking like old recipes from Pompeii of, of bread. And and then he, he started reading about these scrolls and he's like, oh my God, you know, somebody should do something about this. I've thought with the story, um, yeah, I've seen all the TikTok memes. I mean, it's just a bunch of guys, you know, getting terrorized on their couch by their wives. And, and, <laughs> like, really? Rome? <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. This is like a guy who who actually did something about it, you know, and and put them all to shame. I don't know the, I don't know where the, sort of feel like it, I haven't thought about it a ton. I I feel like it comes from this whole gladiator kind of, you know, Mm. it has a, it has a, it has a, like a machismo to it for some reason. Um, at least in in my head. I mean, Julius Caesar is a pretty, uh, macho figure. And then he, gets killed like a bloodier scene out of the godfather i think that can maybe draw some dudes to the roman traditions but it seems like there's just a lot more there uh hearkening back to a time of invasions and conquest but it's refined and it's educated and i i haven't really unpacked the gendered element of rome Zuck, remember, like Zuck and, and Elon were going to fight in yeah. the Coliseum. Yeah, I think it's all bundled up in that. It's kind of you know when we were more visceral and uh, and and less politically correct. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, that's when we were less politically correct <laughs> of years ago. I mean, I have weird thoughts about Rome, where I was joking about the British accent, but I often will just think to myself, "What did they sound like? Did they sound like Italians, even though they were speaking Latin?" Uh, did they have that sort of rhythm, you know, rhythmic talk, you know, how did they actually express themselves? I have weird thoughts about the food because whenever a Roman recipe is revealed, um, my thought is usually gross. Uh, it doesn't seem like something that would appeal to the, uh, modern palate. Uh, recently, uh, I saw something on the internet of how to make ancient Roman fish sauce. And I was thoroughly, thoroughly repulsed. Um, and, uh, but there's, it's really just that fascination with something that feels modern and yet is ancient enough to be inaccessible. 
it's it's in that sweet spot. And I think that's why people ruminate on this in a way they just don't with a lot of other periods of history that we don't maybe know enough about. Maybe some of that is just about what's been revealed. I remember when Dan Carlin did uh, his hardcore history on the Mongols, all of a sudden a bunch of people who had never been all that curious about the Mongols were fascinated by the Mongols. And maybe we have just enough context to make Rome, you know, especially uh, especially fascinating in some other time periods. Maybe we'll get that context thanks to the AI technology that will unveil aspects of history that we just didn't even know about. I mean, it's pretty crazy, man. You know, especially like in this moment when everybody's afraid of AI or we just don't know where all this stuff mm-hmm. is going. And, and yeah, I mean, this is like such a nerdy um, use of it all. I guess it's all kind of nerdy, but but like... I do think there's just to go back to one of your earlier questions, there is there's this interesting symbiosis between man and machine here. So like the the first guy, this guy Casey Handmer, he's uh people should Google him. He's got a blog, he's like an expert on everything. He's a very interesting guy. Um you know, they they'd gotten these images of the scrolls and people were kind of struggling still to read them. When if you see they the Romans wrote in charcoal ink, and so it's charcoal ink on a burnt piece of papyrus, it's really hard to see much of anything. And and Casey, like everybody else, started to try to write these algorithms to figure this out and wasn't having any luck. And so he just stared at the at his screen mm. for a really long time hours and hours and hours and he started like kind of going back and forth on this image i went down to visit him in la he put this like plexiglass on his computer screen was drawing on it and and he started to spot this pattern that they all call crackle and it looks like it's kind of hard to explain but it kind of looks like if you've been to a, a desert that's all dried out and the and you have all those cracks in the mud and and he saw this crackle, and it turns out, like, he theorized, he, he thought that was evidence of ink, and he was able to kind of draw about 12 letters. He discovered the word purple. It was very exciting through through yeah. all in one of these scrolls. But then that's what a bunch of these guys used to train their AI was like, oh, okay, here's a few examples of where we've seen this pattern. And that's when this whole thing took off. And, and now... This AI is gonna like maybe tell us more about ourselves than we used to to know, and so it, you know it is a strange. Um, it's it's rare that you get like a pretty completely touching, like nice story, but I think that that's basically what this is. Um, is everybody working in harmony? I mean, I think the positive aspects of AI are worth discussing. Uh, we don't know where it's headed. We talked about this last time, but there's just as much reason to be an optimist, if not more so than to be a doomer. And um, it would be, I think, foolish to just be blind to the potential opportunities. Um, That's not how I want to see it. Even if this is not a realm that I'm an expert in, and even if I recognize that often technology creates things that are beyond our ability to immediately adapt to it. I think we had a Camille Foster on recently, and we were talking about how this is all complicated, that the printing press gets invented, and we've got bloody religious warfare coming out of that in the short term, which if you were around that time, 
I think if you were a very logical person, you'd have to go, oh my God, this is really the devil's work. I mean, we should have never opened Pandora's box here. Um, but in the broader sweep, that communication technology, that technology, how could you not say that was positive? Um, and th something like that could certainly be the case for AI, where there are aspects of it that are negative and they absorb our focus and we have a negativity bias when it comes to the news. But good God, this is so just invigorating, these possibilities. And I, I would just prefer to draw inspiration from it and be excited about it. Because if I have a choice, it certainly feels better. Um, and I also see just as much reason to feel that way versus the other, uh, perhaps more commonly popular way. Yeah. And like this shit is crazy. I, I urge anyone listening to this to go to the Vesuvius Challenge website and see what these things look like. And and the fact that like anything could pull. It's insane. It's insane. I mean, it's like looking at just is just a black piece of uh, just just nothing and, and that these machines can like see stuff out of it. I'm sure this is going to be the start of um historians digging into all kinds of stuff here. I mean, the fun, like a funny thing about this contest, you know, it had like a million dollar prize. They announce it on the, on the internet. And then like, sort of like you expect, I guess, maybe all these 22 year old, these college undergrads get into it. Maybe they just want to make some money or they're good at AI. It's pretty shocking to me. Like, not a single classicist, like PhD, got involved huh. in the contest. Like, like nobody from that realm. And and you can like clearly see this could be the stuff of uh, like that you could make your career on, your life on. You know, and yeah, and, and have like really groundbreaking work. And and none of them got into it. Also, like no one from you know the the main, some of the main kids, not to besmirch a fine institution like uh, University of Nebraska, but there were no, which is where one of the main contestants came from. No Stanford, no MIT, no Caltech, like, like, uh, wow. I guess it was like maybe too good for them or something like that. But um, now you got this kid, there's this guy, Luke Ferritor. He's 22. He was like a SpaceX intern working on this. You know, he's kind of like really made, made a name for himself through through this contest. So what do you make of that? Uh, do you think that, I mean, sometimes there's this bias in institutions where you've mastered a certain amount of knowledge and you don't necessarily want something disruptive. Uh, what's that, that uh, Robert Conquest law that uh, everybody is a conservative about that which they know best? Um, I remember when the NBA is I'm just a dumb old sports writer. I got to relate it to, to sports. But they uh, got rid of a legal defense and they opened up the game, which was a very necessary reform. And the people who fought it the most viciously were legendary coaches Pat Riley and Rudy Tomjanovich. So they, you know, in that case, they were not open to improving the game. Uh, they were more so protective of their fiefdom, of their realm. Do you think it's that sort of situation or do you just think it's something else? I think it was like kind of complacency and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, not seizing the opportunity. I mean, there, there is this one guy, Brent, Brent Seals. We wouldn't be talking about this if it wasn't for him. He's a, 
computer science professor from the University of Kentucky. He he used to do medical imaging, CT scans, like help help doctors have better software. And he's the guy who like 20 years ago was like, maybe we can read these scrolls. Um, and, you know, there's classicists. There's this other guy from the University of Michigan, Richard Janko. He's this poor guy. You know, he sat in... Italy, like piecing together the tiny fragments that people had uncovered, like by hand for years at a time to sort of read bits and pieces of the stuff. So um, people have tried, but then once this hit, like the classicist community, they had like almost no interest. And when I talked to them on the phone, I don't know, you know, obviously there's some that are excited by what we could read, but, but um, I'm like sort of, sh- I, I, I was, I've been shocked by the the lack of interest from that world and the lack of like consistent information about these things that have been studied for hundreds of years it just it struck me that there's there's um it was interesting that if you read about these online you would think we know everything we can about these things because people have dedicated their lives to them. And this whole contest showed that like, you know, yeah. there, was, there were many, many things people had not tried or thought of. And, and I mean, that was kind of, that was like a big takeaway is, is just that um, there's lots of things out there that you think are solved and, and it just takes some fresh eyes on well, it. Well, it does feel fake, I guess, in fairness to some people, it does feel the unreal in a way i don't know why but it does just feel wait a second you're pulling my leg whenever somebody says anything about these time periods especially if it does overlap with the religious um often there are hucksters talking about it or it's just not very reliable and it's difficult i suppose to know what to believe in which i think is why i'm actually very appreciative that you've written the article at a reputed outlet to, to clue people in that this isn't just some sort of rumor or some sort of, uh, some sort of hearsay. Um, man, I just, I know that it's not profound, but I just keep thinking about it and just thinking how much fun it would be to just learn anything, anything that sets the table. I just, I love thinking about these time periods and even before them and thinking things like, uh, did cavemen have a sense of humor? You know, it's just basic things like this. I would love to know. I mean, that's something I would love to know. Do you think about this at all of how similar do you think they were to us? Do you just not even interface with that because you can't know because, as you've said, we've such little information? Or is that something that you think about as I do of did they joke around? Uh, you know, what was the rhythm? What was the pattern of a conversation? These sorts of things, for whatever reason, keep turning over and over in my mind. You know, my default is to tend to think that uh, human nature is pretty similar, not just across cultures, but also across time. I, I, I This is maybe like too specific for what you're getting after it's just what jumped to mind when they they have because this villa was so well preserved they they have started like digging around on some of it and like it was really surprising to me man the whole thing is full of color all the colors still there like 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 i always thought of um you know like 
what's the aesthetic now? It's this like Nordic, um, this very modern, like your house is supposed mm. to be very, very clean and, and yeah, uh, kind of a minimal, a sleek minimalism, Minimalist, right? One, one of those infinity pools or whatever they call it, looking right. out over the hills. Uh, yes, that sort of thing. And if you, and if you're a rich guy with a villa, uh, which it is funny, there's something eternal about rich guys liking Roman style villas. And so that is some continuity, <laughs> but it is viewed, I think, as a, a little bit garish and McMansion-y to be into that aesthetic versus the more minimalist aesthetic that you're referring to. Yeah. And like these were anything but minimalist, man. When they start uncovering this, I mean, there's like the whole floor is this giant mosaic, like kind of collage mm. thing. All the walls were like that different colors. And I don't know, just to your question, I mean, that really surprised me. I just pictured things being like a lot more sedate and, and, uh, and 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 that was surprising. It also sounded like a very nice way of life. I mean, maybe if yeah. you're wealthy, but you know, these scrolls were huge and you had to like unwind them from both sides at the same time to be able to read them. And you can kind of picture holding this giant thing up as you're you're trying to read it. And they had like in this villa, they just had these entire rooms looking out, you know, onto the ocean with, with these chairs just dedicated to like spending your time with your scrolls. And, and, um, I don't know. All that sounded very nice. That does sound very nice. Um, I think it's hard to beat the terrain of that area. And yes, you, uh, you wouldn't have had modern dentistry. You wouldn't have had Novocaine. So that would be not, optimal i suppose yeah, i've already yeah. mentioned the food part uh, the food is always weird of that era bill buford wrote a fascinating book of joining mario batali's kitchen that he then chases into this rabbit hole was uh, that heat? uh yeah yeah you, you yeah. read heat that's a fantastic book ah i love it um yeah but if you recall when he goes and tracks down some of the ancient ancient italian recipes they're not good. <laughs> They're not that great. So as fascinating as the past is, we have improved upon a lot, which I will take as a segue. Apple Vision Pro. Actually, I've confronted it. I've seen it. I have gone into the Apple store. I've not seen it for myself, but I've seen humans wearing these, wearing these objects. It has inspired some to rend garments and bemoan our dystopian present and accelerating future others say well a lot of things seemed goofy and now we're used to them this is just like that do you have any thoughts on the apple vision pro phenomenon i haven't been able to play with one yet and my usual well so my usual default because i'm a tech journalist and a nerd and uh i usually try to get my hands on the gadgets just to play with them no matter what they are so i have i've done you know like all the other vr stuff um on this one the second i saw the cord and the little battery pack <laughs> i was like you know i think i'll give this one a, a pass this doesn't look like a finished mm. finished effort um and then yeah no i just spent the last like three days watching all these idiots on on twitter like walking into the street and driving their cyber <laughs> truck with like no with this uh, thing on their face um i don't know man i with anything vr i think you gotta give you, you gotta have like a healthy dose of skepticism and time this, yeah. is, this is the worst confluence of events which is like irrational apple 
um, cult, you know, lust combined with VR is, is, is like a dangerous combination of, of trying to make this thing seem like it's, it's exceptional beyond belief. And, uh, so I'm skeptical. I, I'm also shocked. I mean, it's like $3,500, right? This isn't even meant, Ooh. this isn't even meant for like regular consumers. Apple and maybe like Tesla would be the only companies that could convince people to, to like pay this amount of money for, for something like this. Um, so anyway, I, I reserve my judgment, man. I still don't, <laughs> but I haven't tried it. So. Yeah. I mean, I can't judge it because I haven't tried it, but I do think there's sometimes a fallacy that people who are pro tech uh, can get into where they will say, yes, you know, I was kind of mentioning this before, but yeah, this seems weird, but you know, so too did AirPods. AirPods seemed weird and you're used to that. And it's like, yeah, but then there are a bunch of other things that seemed weird and never became a thing. Um, so yes, you know, point taken. There are things that appear goofy that we then get used to, but there's probably, I don't know, about 90% of other things that just never really catch on. And sometimes for whatever reason, it's very unpredictable, right? Where, um, kind of talking to, I think there's this assumption that we would only want to talk to people, um, our phone conversations, we would want it to be a video interfacing and it, really took a long time to get going. And there are people who like doing the FaceTime thing a lot, but I feel as though that one was one people thought was imminent and there were more starts and stops there. Yeah, um, like, that took like 20 years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, this reminds me a little bit of Google Glass. I'm sure somebody who understands the differences uh, could explain to me why I'm an idiot to even compare them. But I remember when Google Glass came out, there was a lot of similar hype and this is what everybody's going to be wearing. These cameras on our glasses that record everything. And I've told the story on the fifth column, but there was an NBA team uh, that was given a bunch of Google glass glasses. And the whole idea is that the athletes were going to be doing cool things uh, to show everybody. And the main memory from them all getting these Google glasses was a player would just film his sexual escapades while wearing them and then just show his teammates uh, in iMovie with special effects the denouement of uh, some of these escapades on the team plane. Uh, and it was just kind of a funny, in theory, versus in practice. Because the NBA, as I often say, it was not like the uh, the corporate culture of uh, Yelp when I worked there briefly. Uh, it's a very different place. So that's, you know, that was ultimately the utility of uh, the Google Glasses uh, within the NBA ecosystem um, was uh, creating sex movies from a different vantage. And I don't think that ever really, I, I don't think, I mean, Google Glasses, I, I haven't really checked up on it, but I don't think that really became a thing. No, I'm not man. saying that... It was the opposite of a thing. I mean, it was like a momentary thing, and then everybody got ridiculed for how they looked. Although, yeah. you know, you can make an argument now. They look better than this thing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean to your point, acceptance. I mean, VRs, I don't know if most people realize this. There's, there was this computer scientist, like one of the geniuses of the last century this guy ivan sutherland um he started on this at mit in like the 50s or 60s if you, you can find on the internet he had like the first vr headset that ever got built and so you know this is this is like uh 
VR is up there. I'm trying to rack through my brain real quick. Like possibly the longest kind of hopeful but unfulfilled tech quest, like major mm-hmm. tech quest that that there's been. Um, yeah, I have this like very smart guy I was running into this week, who's who's a very wealthy, well, you know, brilliant tech dude, and uh, I don't know. He was trying to argue to me that this device is a bigger deal than even AI. And he thinks, he thinks the next mm. 10 years will actually be the story of this. Cool. Cause it's like a whole, you know, change. And um, I do think I just real quick, I think yeah. like our computers have been the same for a long time now. Um, like the, if you think about like your interface on your laptops, even your phones, I mean, the, the iPhone, has smartphones haven't changed really since they came out. And I do think there's kind of like this yearning that like we all know something about this technology is actually kind of antiquated that we're hopping around mm. these little boxes with these things. We have to double click and put our little file names in. And, and I don't know, man, when I sit back, I just think that is actually, it almost looks exactly the same as what we thought up in the 1960s again. And, and we're mm. still here. So I, I do think people are kind of like yearning for some kind of new, um, more modern type of way to interact with these things. I think you're totally right about that, that there might be a hopeful willingness to overread the moment. I also think something else might be going on, and I'm not committed to either of these two trains of thoughts. But when it comes to VR... And the tech people who are really into the idea of it, I'm of two minds. One is that there must be something there. This is going to be the future because they will will it to be the future. They must have a sense of where things are headed. So I don't want to laugh and I don't want to scoff. But the other thought I have is that there's something about this cohort of people that is really into VR in a way the rest of us are not so into VR. And they're often excited about it and feel a need for it in a way that I can't relate to. And I think that maybe a lot of people can't relate to. And I, when I saw Zuckerberg talking about the metaverse and how wonderful it is that you would just live in this alternate reality, I remember just thinking, I don't want that. <laughs> like, yeah. I want to live in, I, I like being in reality reality. I, I I don't want an air sats Roman villa on that are strapped to my eyes, I would like to be in a Roman villa. That's what I would like if I could have it. Um, And there's something to, I think, a lot of people who work in technology who are, are, are really good with this stuff and they read Snow Crash growing up and they're very excited about it. And I'm just not sure it scales for the general public. And I have that skepticism. Well, and we've had like, we're, we're on sort of a recent run of, of misses, man. I mean, there's been moments when the tech world has tried to uh, tried to make things happen, like crypto and, and all these DAOs, these DAOs, these um, things that other people probably don't know about and shouldn't know about. Um, but, you know, we're on this run where 
people tried to make stuff happen and it hasn't really worked. Anyway, like VR is always the same. You put on the headset, you like almost fall off the edge of a building, you get this <laughs> rush of uh, adrenaline and fear. <laughs> You're like, this is amazing. And then, you know, you, you maybe go back in like one more, one more time. And I don't know. I just see all these guys doing this like minority report having a million screens up all around their face. I, yeah. don't, I still know that that's, that's for me, but I, I, again, I guess I should withhold judgment until, uh, until, until I try this. Yeah. I guess it's a little bit like being stoned and that you're having a very personalized experience. Only everybody knows you're stoned, which is the last thing anybody wants when they are stoned. Um, maybe, maybe they need to create a version of this that's not so per, uh, perceptible. Uh, and, and maybe that's the secret to it all. I, again, I don't want to judge too harshly. I just think that there is something there about the intense interest of people who are good in this field with the snow crash reality and creating it that I don't necessarily think everybody wants or envisions as the role of technology or the answer to the, 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 the question they've always been asking. I don't know many people who are going, man, if only there was a virtual world separate from reality, because I want to escape reality so bad. It's almost depressive in a way, Ashley. It's just yeah. this, this idea that the reality is so dreary um, and so terrible that we need some sort of other other version of it. Um, I don't I don't know. I don't feel that way. I don't know if a lot of people feel that way. And maybe if it can augment reality and merge with it, there's something to it. But I think there's there's just something to uh, there's just something to the idea of replacement of it that I think wigs people out. And even if we are critiquing the technophobes and the people saying that the AI is going to kill us all, I certainly understand that perspective when they're looking at scorn, uh, in the direction of this particular thing. Yeah. The, uh, sometimes I, I think you're young, you're younger than I am, but I do, I do see what my kids are doing, man. They're they're kind of yeah. one's a teenager, one's almost a teenager. Um, I don't know that they like hate they they do not hate reality, but uh, yeah. and it's no secret the kids play lots of video games. But man, the world they they live a different life than I do. Like they they would rather be um, much rather be in these games together, yeah. all chatting, than even to like do it together in the same house um like you know like when i was growing up it was like oh we're gonna play madden but we're all gonna be oh, I love madden. yeah there's gonna be like you know 12 of us and, and yeah great but they they would rather like sort of all do this from their spot so they can just be in this like little virtual world with their discord server and i mean i don't know i, I feel like some of it is maybe not yeah. just like a, a rejection of uh the how boring and bad life is but just this embrace of this this other world yeah i mean maybe i'm there's a little generational bias to think that my madden addiction in high school was good and pure <laughs> and uh connected to reality but uh what young people are engaged in now is uh godless uh replacement of of reality what was your favorite madden what year what year are you uh, most into well, I guess I liked them all, but I was I was prime Madden, kind of like ninety six to two thousand, and then that quickly went into to Goldeneye. Really, I guess. Which yeah. I have I have gotten my kids to see the beauty of Goldeneye. Now. 
Classic. <laughs> Xbox, yes. I mean, Madden, yeah. Madden got like too complicated, man. That's when I really started. I was like, I was feeling like I was old when I was like 22 and some new version would come out. You're like, oh, shit, I have to actually have to like learn all this stuff. Yeah. Well, they were always adding stuff. Well, I felt like when they were really pushed, I can't remember what the other video game was before they got a real monopolistic control. They felt a lot of pressure to create new features. And then after a while, they were just kind of running back mad and with slightly better graphics. <laughs> Um, okay. you know, I'm trying. Yep. Oh, sorry, man. I, I was just, I'm curious, like what you think of, of Apple as like a, as somebody who does not uh, sit in my world obsessing over, uh, tech all the time. I, I find them in a mesley, like in many ways, underwhelming company, mm. their resources. And I actually think this product is like an example of, um, in some ways, like how far they've, I do not think yeah. Steve Jobs would have allowed like this no. incarnation of this to be released. Um, that's my general take on it. Uh, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Madden conversation that we just had inspired you to ask me that question because that was the trajectory of Madden, at least from my perspective, of being so innovative and fun. And once you get a certain foothold in the culture and in business, um, maybe it's just that you have to do other things to maintain your dominance that have less to do with aesthetics and pioneering, boring things, things I can't even imagine when it comes to international business and uh, how it's done. And maybe when you reach a certain scale level, maybe it just kind of runs on autopilot. Um, Apple's interesting in that there is just this huge brand element to it that you were referring to where be, whenever whenever apple does something it's inherently more interesting to people and there is that cult and it was obviously started by steve jobs um and i guess it it survives him somehow i i that's my general impression but i don't want to speak too authoritatively on it because i'm not um i'm not as into it you know i i delegate a lot of my uh <coughs> thinking on tech matters to people like yourself, Ben Thompson uh, at Stratechery. I'll, I'll read what he says and, you know, take that quite seriously. But that is my general impression where as, as the normie, the casual fan of such things, uh, I am not stirred by it. I am not wowed by it. It's not like when I was in high school and I saw somebody pull out an iPod. And I went, what the, whoa, you know, what the hell? This is so cool. This is crazy. I haven't gotten that feeling uh, in a long time from Apple. Yeah. You know, like Peter Thiel for ages has been arguing that, that um, especially the big tech companies, once you kind of made it, that you're not actually a technology company anymore because, you know, mm -hmm. technology should be about sort of reshaping the future and going somewhere that hasn't been been gone before apple you know for a long time has, has specialized in taking stuff that's already out there and kind of like making it better and having this new take on it as opposed to like creating some new idea out of whole cloth i just i feel like they've made so much money because of the iphone which you know Good yep. for them. Um, but that's been like a 20-year run, and it's actually deeply shocking to me how little else they've done in that time period. And I like I think about Elon 
firing all those people at Twitter and the site mostly working still. Um, and and I look at like Apple's headcount and I just wonder what all these people do all, all day. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, I have a, another take. Their Mother Earth ad campaign. Very cringe. That's just an aesthetic take. Incredibly cringe. It did make me wonder, maybe wonder what the hell they were doing. I didn't I don't look at that kind of thing and go, oh my God, they must be a dysfunctional company. But there is something to what sort of company is producing that sort of ad? Who is this appealing to? Who is inspired by this? What is this really? scratching in terms of a mainstream itch and you can look it up and see what i'm talking about find the mother earth uh ad campaign from apple where tim cook is yammering about the sustainability of their metal or whatever um <laughs> not saying that's bad to have products that are you know in theory better for the earth i don't know the details i don't know the extent to which it's better versus something else uh so don't don't grill me on it. I just don't think that's what people primarily want from the product is all I'm saying. Yeah, you should probably ask the the kid that made it. Oh, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. No, he's uh, his reward is the 10 cents a day that he gets paid. Uh, it's uh, yeah, I I don't know. I, I find it uninspiring, uh, but maybe. We're just in a period of decadence on a lot of different fronts. Not all of them. Sometimes somebody comes up with something truly ingenious and we can read scrolls from the ancient Roman times. But there is a lot of decadence. I mean, I wrote this with Nike and I think it was a little bit confused um, where I talked about how they had really stopped innovating uh, as a company, but also how it kind of didn't matter because they had such a foothold that they could, they could just sort of coast. And they, in the 90s, when they had to fight more for market share, uh, were just, in a way, I think a better company, but richer, no. Uh, and maybe it's just all part of that. What is that, what is that cliche quote about um, hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, whatever you want to apply there. Uh, it, it's, it, yeah, I, I look at it as a decadent company, but that doesn't prevent it from making boatloads of money. So what do I know? Actually, I, I am not a huge Zuckerberg fan. I actually think this is like his most redeeming quality among the tech titans. I don't think, you know, even though he makes, like you were talking about the metaverse, he's made a series of large bets that haven't fully worked out. Um, but mm. for, there's this group of like five or six kind of like trillion dollar sized companies. And, and, you know, they're the closest thing to actually like making Peter Thiel's sort of thing um, not work. I mean, they, I, I would argue they're the ones that actually do try out new ideas and, and that he is kind of like striving for some other new space to, mm. to figure out. And like on AI, it's pretty interesting. They are open sourcing everything. They've, they've always become like open AI was meant to be uh, all, you know, in the beginning. And he, he's tried his metaverse stuff. He's tried all these interesting things, spreading like, you know, low cost internet around. I don't know. Um, they, they seem, I think because of the way he's driven a little less happy with coasting. Yeah. Well, I certainly cannot 
have the standing to be a critic of it. I am but a humble, stupid sports writer rubbing my hands, waiting for the Super Bowl, whatever ads are going to be fed to me. Um, last time, you know, I miss all the crypto ads, Ashley. That was cool in 2021 when everybody was trying to sell me crypto during the Super Bowl. I'm already nostalgic for those times, and I eagerly await what, it, what will be sold to me in this Super Bowl. Will there be a potential uh, Apple Vision Pro ad? Uh, how will it be sold? Will we be told during the Super Bowl that it is sustainable for the environment? And that is why I should strap on these goggles that look like ski goggles to myself as I walk across a freeway. I don't know, but I'm very excited to find out. Um, Ashley, do you have anything you want to plug for us? Anything you want to say? Any topics we should have uh, should have touched on? What do I want to do now? I don't know. I don't know. Read my books, watch a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> Hello world. Um, yeah. No, that's about it. You know, I'll, I'm going to throw out a plug for something else, which is uh, next year, if you are bored between the week of the championship games and the Super Bowl, there is mm. a crazy, crazy car race in the California desert called King of the Hammers, which is on that Ooh. weekend. And I just got back from spending a few days there and uh, I highly recommend that. That sounds super cool and less expensive than what I did do, which is going to Vegas a week before everybody else went to Vegas uh, and losing my microphone. Before? Well, we just booked it for that weekend. I don't know why. It was college friends. Uh, It was randomly chosen. We didn't know the Niners were going to make the Super Bowl, though there was certainly a good chance. And the whole time we were, the whole time, all we were saying is, man, I wish we had done this a week later. That would have been so cool. That would have been so cool (laughs) to be here for the Super Bowl, but we were not here for the Super Bowl. We're in this odd calm before the storm. But it was still fun, and uh, right now I'm looking at rates for the Cosmopolitan. I think it's like four grand if you want to stay there on Saturday night. So uh, maybe not worth it um, unless uh, you're getting the company to pay for you, as some in the media, some in the media are. You know, I never got a sense. You know, before I let you go, you seem like a sports fan. What what sports? What are your sports? What are your teams? Big sports fan, man. Well, I grew up in Texas, so some of that is like built in. Cowboys fan, I'm sorry to say. Um, Astros fan. Grew up during like the Rockets heyday, but I think kind of like you, you know, sort of hard to avoid the Warriors during these last this this run and and kind of like a infectious team. I played tennis in college, so I'm like a I'm a I'm a tennis junkie, um, and so mostly yeah, like kind of I think. Football, baseball, tennis are my, uh, that's my zone. I have to either get into tennis or pretend to, because too many smart people are into it. I need to seem like I know what I'm talking about uh, when discussing uh, these guys from other countries. And uh, I I, I can fake it a little bit. I can can fake it a little bit um, and talk about the mental toughness of Djokovic. That's his name, yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily win in the first set, but that's that's when he's figuring it out. You know, that's that's the sort of thing he I will say. That, to like fun to keep it interesting for him now, man. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> yeah, he makes it look too easy sometimes. Although I think uh, now we might finally see like the the past era. Is, is mm-hmm. Well, it's it's a great sport. There's just only so much that I can. Uh, have the bandwidth for so maybe after this football season ends i will commit myself to tennis ashley thank you so much you're always so great on here 
Um, and thanks for the shout out in the interview. I truly appreciate it. And I look forward to reading your work as time goes on. Thanks for letting me nerd out. Check out the schools. Hell yeah. <laughs>